0: You're listening to Revenge of the Drive in the podcast where we watch and review two movies normally randomly selected from a list of over 1,800. This time, we chose our own movies. As, as we approach the end of the season, we wanted to go out on a bit of a bang, and I think we've done that here. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined by
1: Jim. Hello, everybody. Hello, Patrick.
0: So we talked about Jim's pick, which was Big Trouble in Little China, the John Carpenter 1986 film. Mm-hmm. and we also watched The Street Fighter, the 1974 film starring Sonny Chiba, which is a film that I don't believe, well, I certainly didn't see it before. I don't believe I you definitely it did either. not see it, no. Yeah, and that's why I picked it, because I, I had heard a little bit about it, had never seen it, wanted to see it, and I don't regret my decision. But Big Trouble in Little China, Jim, you are a big fan of this, correct?
1: Huge fan. I think I probably saw it, oh, I was pretty young. Maybe around seven years old. Okay. My dad was a huge fan of the movie. He was like maybe one of the several million people who bought it after it came out, after it was a major flop in theaters. Okay. Yeah, and I watched it. We still have the original VHS copy at my parents' house. I love it. I think it's probably my favorite John Carpenter movie. I know know he's got a few really good ones, but I just love Big Trouble in Little China. It just speaks to me. Yeah, I think I had only
0: seen this once all the way through before because there were so there were so many parts of it that I didn't remember. I did not remember there being monsters in it. There's like three yeah. monsters. I don't remember that. <laughs>
1: That's great. So uh,
0: yeah, yeah, you know, it it felt like a kind of a refreshing experience because a lot of it I remembered, but so much of it I hadn't. So
1: like it's a it's a weird movie because it is a cult classic. It is this cult hit i guess this home video hit it really flopped in theaters i think it only made about a million dollars in north well America. you were
0: implying it flopped on home video too you said you said your dad was one of the few people to buy it on home video
1: well it did it did better on home <laughs> video than it did in theaters that's for sure
0: for the record i would just like to say i know john carpenter has kind of a bad track record of a lot of his best movies weren't super successful when they came out the big one obviously being the thing
1: mm-hmm. i can
0: a hundred percent understand why this didn't do well when it came out. It's such a weird tongue-in-cheek movie where if you didn't watch it and you kind of just heard there was this movie called Big Trouble in Little China and you knew there was like like an action-adventure fantasy like mysticism thing, you'd probably be thinking, oh, that's probably a racist movie. That's probably... (laughs) Just stupid and like, I don't want to see that. Right? <laughs> it's
1: probably a racist movie. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because I was looking into it a bit. So, like you said, came out in 86. Speaking of 86, it was originally meant to be set in the 1880s. It was written by, oh, shucks, I have it written down here. It was the, the, the original screenplay was written by Gary Goldman and okay. David Z. Weinstein. They had written a story about a Western set in the 1880s, but Screenwriter W.D. Richter was hired to completely revamp the script and modernize it. And then 20th Century Fox brought on Carpenter to direct it. They really kind of like pumped it out. They rushed it out because apparently there's some like Eddie Murphy movie coming out in the next couple of years that had a similar story. And I've never even heard of this movie. It's called The Golden Child.
0: Oh, I've I've seen the poster of that. Yeah, there's like some Asian, I I don't know what it's about, but there's like a There's some Chinese stuff on the poster, I want to say.
1: But yeah, so it it was this weird kind of project that came literally from nowhere. It was like a studio, I guess, had a script. And they were like, hey, you know, it would be better if we just set this in the modern era in modern San Francisco. And oh, let's get Kurt Russell and let's get John Carpenter. He makes weird movies. This might be kind of up his alley. And apparently John Carpenter was actually really excited to do this movie because he was going to it was going to be the first time that he worked on like a kung fu kind of action martial arts movie. This is the movie though, infamously, that made him walk away from Hollywood. So, because of the rush whoa, 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 production, whoa,
0: whoa, wait, 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 hang on. Citation needed there. I mean, he did several movies after this.
1: This is the one that he really didn't that, that like made him really hate the Hollywood movie machine.
0: So the studio system specifically.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he stepped away from that and became like an independent kind of producer on like a lot of movies. He did come back occasionally for some movies, but he like after this movie, he really took a step out of Hollywood. Yeah. And in his words, uh, I have it written down here. He said, Big Trouble was the reason I stopped making movies for the Hollywood studios. I won't work for them again. I think Big Trouble is a wonderful film. and I'm very proud of it. But the reception it received and the reasons for that reception Were too much for me to deal with. I'm too old for that sort of bullshit.
0: (laughs) So, in essence, Big Trouble gave him Big Trouble.
1: Yeah, it's just like a lot of things that shouldn't work, but in my opinion they do work, and it it makes for a really enjoyable movie. Alright, care to get
0: started on the plot then?
1: Okay, so the first character we meet is a fella named Egg Shen, and he's played by Victor Wong. He's the guy from Tremors, stuff? right? Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. I, I've i probably seen him in other stuff. This movie's littered with, like, every Asian character actor in Hollywood at this time is, like, in this movie. And I definitely recognize him, yeah. Is he also the one in Gremlins? I I, no, I don't think he no. is, but I'm, I'm willing to bet the shop owner in Gremlins is probably in this movie. But I'm not sure which character. He
1: is. <laughs> well, James Hong is in this. And he's, like, the Asian-American actor. Yeah, (laughs) he's
0: he's been in more movies than almost anybody. I think he's – maybe Eric Roberts has him beat because Eric Roberts makes 45 movies a year, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, also, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's uh, Gerald Akamura. Yes, uh,
0: Big Trouble in Little Tokyo with him um, because he is a (laughs) Japanese actor. Yeah,
1: Yeah. he shows up throughout the movie as kind of like a, a bad guy in a gang. So the first character we meet is Egg Shen. He drives a tour bus in San Francisco through Chinatown. He's being interviewed by an attorney, and the attorney asks where Jack Burton is. Like, something's happened. This is—we're beginning at the end. Uh And, uh, yeah, so this attorney says, you know, where's Jack Burton? And Egg Shen gets really heated, and he shouts, leave him alone. And he says something like, uh, we owe him a debt of gratitude or something. I don't know. And then this attorney says, "Oh, and all this Chinese magical stuff. Do you believe in that?" And he goes, "Of course I do." And then he starts shooting lightning between his palms, and then we just kind of cut straight to Kurt Russell driving a semi down the highway, really spouting nonsense over his truck radio to these other poor. Truckers. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's just kind of saying whatever. <laughs> it's just kind of a weird introduction. He's not. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> he's just like it, telling it, stories, and but certainly the first time I saw it. It, it took me a long time to kind of adjust to the Kurt Russell performance because he, <laughs> yeah. his um, accent is so – it's like he's saying everything sarcastic. And <laughs> it, I think it, it, it overall it, it works for the character, but it it takes you a while to kind of get used to the performance. It's, it's, it's like a, it's an issue I have with certain with certain Johnny Depp characters where he's doing a goofy voice or something, mm-hmm. and it's just like, okay, this is a good performance. I just have to adjust to it.
1: Yeah, Kurt Russell's is he's he's over the top. Yes, he's also spot on (laughs) for the. Oh yeah, I don't I don't don't disagree.
0: I'm I'm just saying I think um for a a a viewer who maybe isn't that familiar with this movie, I think they they might be thinking like, oh, what what is going on? This is weird. But uh, Yeah. yeah, certainly I think it pays off eventually because the entire character is just like um. You know, I I don't know if this will make any sense, but I would compare him to um, Bruce Campbell in the, uh, like, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, and a little bit Ash vs. E- the Evil Dead, not necessarily giving the same performance, but a similar character where he's super confident and completely inept, and he doesn't understand yeah. how useless he is, and he's just so overconfident. It's a similar kind of performance, I guess, in that way.
1: Yeah, he, he's the overconfident, bumbling fool. You know, he, like, <laughs> I think there's one scene where uh, he shoots a guy, right? He just kind of stops, and this other character, Eddie, goes, is that the first time you ever plugged somebody, Jack? And he goes, oh, of, of course not, of course not, and of course yeah. it is, you know? like Because he has
0: <laughs> to keep up his manhood, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyways, Jack pulls into a market in Chinatown, and he eventually makes his way to a group of guys gambling, and they play all through the night and into the next day, at the end, Jack Burton has come away with a little over a thousand bucks. His friend, sitting directly across from him, and the only person left at the table, Wang, he tries to win his money back by cutting a beer bottle in half with, uh, with a machete. And not only does he fail, but he also makes Jack Burton look really, really cool. Uh, he slices the bottle, it shoots off the table, and he catches it. <laughs> Jack Burton catches it, and I think he says, uh, it's all in the reflexes. Mm-hmm. Which comes back at the end. We're setting it up. After a bit of friendly back and forth, Jack decides to take Wang to the airport to meet a woman, Mao Yin. She's flying over from China, and Wang is going to propose to her. But while at the airport, Jack strikes up a conversation with Gracie Law, who we're introduced to later fully, I guess. But she's a lawyer who's also waiting at the airport for a woman coming from mm-hmm. China. And, what are the um, odds
0: that someone with the last name Law becomes a lawyer?
1: Yeah, I know. I <laughs> it, it's like um, it's oh, like when played Lou- by Kim it's, control by the way.
0: Right. It's like when Lou Gehrig ended up getting Lou Gehrig's disease. Like, what are the odds <laughs> of that?
1: <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, she's waiting for another woman at, at an aer- at the airport. They don't really interact, but Gracie grabs Jack as as like a group of Chinese gang members walk by she goes don't mess with them they're a tough chinese street gang
0: yeah what are they called like the sons of death or something no, like that?
1: it's the 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 lords of the the lords of death that's it okay
0: yeah that was close. and they look
1: they look so, super dope they're wearing like <laughs> dumb glasses <laughs> they're they're my favorite characters in the movie maybe but they're also at the airport and it's really weird you can tell something's about to kick off So the gates open, Miao Yin comes out, and uh, Wang starts moving towards her, and this woman, Tara, comes out. And that's the woman that Gracie was waiting for. Right. But as she comes out, the gang moves towards this woman. And uh, Jack steps in to try to stop them. And they just kind of beat him up a bit. They, They don't really, like, kick the crap out of him, but they rough him up. But in the confusion that he creates, Gracie and this woman run away. And instead, they take Wang's girlfriend hostage
0: F- yeah, fiance huh? yeah there you go, fiance. yeah I, yeah i guess i think he calls her his fiance but you're right he hasn't technically proposed yet
1: so we don't know why they took her but they did wang has a good idea of where they've headed to so jack and wang hop back in the semi <laughs> and drive to the gang's head <laughs> hide which <out. laughs> it, it should
0: be noted is um does not have a truck attached to it it's just the, yeah. the front of the yeah. semi what do you call that
1: it's the cab
0: the cab okay
1: I'm a real trucker, Patrick. I don't know. Yeah, that.
0: no, you're you're one of those um, uh, weird Canadian um, <laughs> yeah, letter a, Kenny a... people. You know this trucker stuff that I don't.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, do you think this movie is big with truckers? Because it's all about a trucker doing something really cool. It's a good question. You know, there
0: aren't too many movies that I can think of that, you know, feature truckers in such prominent roles. It's like this and Smokey and the Bandit, right? I mean, what yeah. else?
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, they're trying to go get Meow Yan back. They head down this back alley, but get stopped by a gang's funeral procession. I think the gang's name is the Ch- Chang Chang Sing or something like that.
0: Yeah, these are the. This is the good gang. There's yeah, yeah, this gang. is the good these, gang. The good exactly. gang has the yellow. Um, they keep saying turbans, but really they just have like yellow like scarves or yeah, and like around and like them.
1: headbands and stuff. Yeah. And just as Jack and Wang are going to try to back out of the alleyway and go a different way. A rival gang shows up behind them wearing red and black.
0: <laughs> With Al Leong and Gerald Akamura. Al Leong, classic Asian-American character actor, always like a baddie. He's a, he's one of the terrorists in Die Hard. He's in a few Andy Sidaris movies. Uh, he, he's in a bunch of stuff. And then Gerald Akamura, of course, from Samurai Cop, among other classic, uh, <laughs> low-budget, like, 80s action. I, he's in he's in a few Andy Sedaris movies as well, come to think uh, of it. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, isn't he in um, one we watched?
0: No, I don't think he's in either of the ones, because we did Picasso Trigger, and then or maybe, I don't remember Picasso Trigger too well, but we did the commentary track on Hard Ticket to Hawaii. I don't believe he's in either of those.
1: Never mind, then. Check out
0: our Patreon for that commentary track and many others.
1: So anyways these two gangs just start blasting each other away with like machine guns and pistols and stuff and (laughs) and jack and wang are stuck in the middle of it in their (laughs) in their semi as the dust is kind of settling they all pull out hand weapons and they just (laughs) race down the alleyway towards each other in this big gang brawl and it's awesome
0: i liked this uh, how it's kind of visually represented because it's not a full-on like zero sum but like, I would say 90% of the really dangerous weapons, be they guns or sharp-edged weapons, are all the with the bad gang. And then the good gang yeah. ha, has more, like, sticks or poles or whatever yes, that they yeah. kind of... Like the Donatello weapon in the yeah. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that, that kind of thing. Whereas, like... So it's visually represented that the bad guys are just, like, really dangerous. It's not completely all the way because... When those other three guys show up, I think it's the good guys that shoot at them. So there are some good guys with guns, I guess. But what's your favorite part of this fight scene? Because I have one.
1: I don't know. There's so much going on. But the one that stands out to me is the one where the guy puts the two by four behind somebody's head. I was going to say that exact (laughs) one. Yeah, It's so random. Like, where did he get that? (laughs) I like that so much. I also like that set.
0: Oh, I was going to say that too, but yeah, because when they run from that thing, there's like one, uh, one long take of them running into another alley and it's so you see that it's all one set. It's an impressive set. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overall, this film just absolutely shines in its production design. All of the, you get the street, you know, street slash alley sets, which are great. And then all the fantastical interiors. They're, they're just, it's, it just looks great. It's a very good looking movie.
1: Yeah, I agree, especially they call the neon <laughs> later on in the movie. I think it's great. Oh yeah,
0: in the final um <laughs> I was thinking even more like the one with all the golden statues. That's yes, my favorite yeah. set.
1: Yes, yeah. Lopans Palace or whatever you want to call it. Not his wedding venue. <laughs>
0: his yeah, his uh his, his uh, wedding temple. That's the with the neon. <laughs> I got a uh Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets vibe at the, en- the end of that movie there in um
1: Oh, like the big like at thing with the... like where, oh, yeah, where the like snake
0: it, the giant snake that yeah, kind yeah. of that set kind of reminded me of that just it's a lot brighter and stuff because the neon but
1: yeah I got kind of like a I don't even know it was I could call it you could call it like trashy Harry Potter because I think like I like neon but I think as soon as you add it to stuff it just <laughs> it looks a little trashy you know what I mean
0: there's a case for that there's also a case for it just looking everything looking a little slicker though i think I think it depends on yeah. the context because when and I it think' neon, on the color
1: of the neon too
0: That's probably true, but because I can be picturing like old school 42nd Street, New York City, which was just porno theater after porno theater and like (laughs) peep shows, and it's like the trashiest thing ever. You know, neon is part of that, but then you also have like the Miami Vice and everything is nice looking, and you know, so I don't know. I I mean, it is Miami Vice, but you know, Miami has a hipper look to it, I guess, you know, with the.
1: See when I think of Miami Vice, the color of neon I think of is like that mint green kind of neon that was in this movie, okay. and like like a like a pinky kind of neon, which was also yeah. I in think this of the movie. I think the
0: pink and kind of the soft blue.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that one too. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Anyway, these two gangs are still going at it in this back alley. The only thing that stops them is the arrival of some supernatural kung fu masters. I think they're called the Three Storms.
0: Yeah there's this scene I think maybe it's the uncle maybe it's egg Shen providing some like background they they refer to something as like the Furies and maybe that's these guys maybe it's something else I don't know
1: Oh yeah I don't remember
0: I was I was mostly just curious about that because I don't expect this movie to closely follow Chinese philosophy in mm-hmm. history and anything like that. <laughs> um, but I'm curious if there is, like, a furies thing in, in Chinese lore because there's the furies, obviously, in ancient Greece and everything. So I was just kind of curious about that. But
1: Well, I'm also curious about, like, Lopan, if there is a story. I mean, not necessarily the same name, but if there is a story of, like, somebody who was cursed by an emperor to live sure. forever in, in, like, this incorporeal state. Anyways. These three guys show up. It's the three storms. I think they're called, like, thunder, lightning, and rain. The first appears out of a big green explosion. The second floats down from the sky in rain. And then the last one descends on, like, a lightning bolt, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, as you said earlier, the white gang just starts blasting these guys. But bullets aren't even doing anything to them. And then these... I I love this scene so much. These three storms, like, pull out these big, like, Gurkha knives... <laughs> and uh they use magic and like levitate them into their hands and then jump in the air spin and then whip the knives and, and sort of mm-hmm. just just start killing everybody. What awesome. what
0: did you call the what did you call those knives? Like Gurkha knives. I don't think gherka that's what they're but is that that's a what real they thing. Me of. Okay. Well, yeah, cuz um it's like the isn't there a Klingon army? weapon that resembles this?
1: Oh, uh is there? I don't know.
0: Yeah, the Klingon sword kind of resembles this. It's just a giant version. A little bit. I'm
1: look uh, I'm looking at a uh, at a kukri. A K U K R I, and uh, I think that's the knives that like traditionally Kukri for uh, cocoa puffs. G- Gurkhas, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And I think that's the knives that uh, traditionally Gurkha soldiers carried.
0: What's that about Gherkins?
1: Yeah. <laughs> My God. So Jack and Wang finally decide they're like, "Hey, we got to get the hell out of here." So they try to drive away, but this. Tall, kind of scary-looking Chinese man, decked out in white face paint, is standing in front of the truck. And Jack just mows him down. But when he hops out of the truck, the guy's standing behind the truck. And this is Lo Pan. Light then shoots out of his eyes and then his mouth, and he kind of temporarily blinds Jack. And as you kind of alluded to earlier, they run from that alleyway set in in this long shot into another alleyway where Jack regains his sight... But the gang from earlier, the Lords of Death, are there. So then they have to run back into this other alleyway where you just see, like, dead bodies strewn all over the place.
0: It's an impressive uh, long shot, especially with the amount of just people in there, extras or actors, however many there are. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, eventually they get out of there and they make their way back to Wang's restaurant. And we're kind of getting, like, a bit of backstory to who Lopan is, who these three storms are. Jack is on the phone. Wearing like a kimono or something.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, because he he just wants his truck back and he's calling to make an insurance claim. And I think they're just going to (laughs) say the truck was stolen or whatever because they're not going back to get the truck because obviously there's people dropping like flies all over the place.
1: Well, then we get Gracie Law showing up at the restaurant. And this is the same woman from the airport. And the three of them together, they come up with a plan to save Miao Yin, who Gracie Law says is most likely held at a whorehouse run by the Lords of Death.
0: And and they make a point of she's got green eyes, which is very unusual for yeah, Chinese women. So they think that's why they have her and they're trying to make her a prostitute. But uh, when and then this is Wang's friend. Eddie. Eddie. Yeah, he's kind of the tall guy. I enjoyed him.
1: Yeah, he's good. I like him. But yeah, you're right. So like Eddie, Gracie, Jack and Wang, they all drive over to the whorehouse. Jack has to go in dressed as kind of like this dweeby looking businessman. <laughs> and uh he's got like his hair like combed to the side and he's wearing like these big kind of goofy glasses
0: oh yeah because um kurt russell has a mullet in this movie first of all he does yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is a very 80s look
1: yeah and then actually this might be a very 80s look for a poor looking businessman you know what i mean brown suit
0: yellow shirt just kind of an ugly (laughs) getup. yeah
1: yeah so he walks in and he's he he wants to you know find meow yin and he says, oh, you know, I'd, I'd really like a girl with green eyes if you have that. You know what I mean? And uh, the woman running the, the establishment says, Asian girls don't have green eyes. And she kind of walks away. But as it turns out, she is being held there in like a secret room. So as Jack is just kind of hanging out, one of the storms shows up and blasts a hole in the ceiling and steals or uh, kidnaps rather uh, Miao Yin and takes her to Lopan. So the Wing Kong exchange, that is Lopan's front for whatever he's doing. Wang knows where it is and he's going to go by himself. But Jack is like, no, 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 I'm going with you. We're going to we're going to rescue her together.
0: So so they know Lopan as a shady businessman. Yeah. Not as a magical wizard.
1: No, but Egg Shen and right. Wang's dad at the restaurant. I think I think uncle, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uncle. They know him as like a weird ancient wizard, but like Wang doesn't believe in that. And, you know, imagine trying to get a John Wayne-esque person to believe in that, you know? Right. So. Also,
0: th- this scene um, has one of my favorite lines of the movie because earlier there was a thing where Gracie Law said she couldn't go into the, the whorehouse because they would instantly recognize her or something. And mm. then so uh, here she's like saying, oh, I would go too. And then, and then Kurt Russell's just like, yeah, I know, but there's a problem with your face
1: yeah (laughs) it's just
0: like the bluntest delivery it's hilarious yeah it's great also when does the um journalist come into the story i think it's like here isn't it like
1: right about this time actually it's right before they go into the whorehouse she runs into her yeah was it earlier
0: yeah Yeah, because that's margo uh, margo yeah because that never really she kind of just comes into the story doesn't really have a huge impact on it I, i i feel like that was just weird they didn't need that character
1: yeah, they didn't. She was kind of like wasted screen space. Probably she was there for like minor comedic relief.
0: Your main, your main character's comedic relief, though. You don't need her.
1: Yeah, I like. I agree. You could have removed her, just like uh, what's his face in in Hush, <laughs> that boyfriend.
0: <laughs> oh God, I don't remember. David <laughs> something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Paul.
1: Oh, it might have actually been Paul.
0: I don't know. I'm just throwing names out here.
1: Well, anyways. Jack and Wang head in, and they slip past the guards, and uh, they make their way to a hidden door, and they find an elevator behind it. They make their way into this elevator. They start going down, but it stops abruptly, and it starts filling with water. It totally fills with water, but they're able to kind of pry the doors open and swim out into this room that's filled with water and corpses that have been hung upside down. So they're mm-hmm. kind of freaking out a little, and then they look up through, like, kind of a sewer grate, and they see one of the storms up there who presumably hauls them out because the next scene we see is that they're getting tortured by this weird, like, magical ball. Yeah. There's lots of weird little magical stuff in this movie. But it it does make for an interesting movie, to be honest, because you're constantly wondering why these things exist. So after they're tortured briefly, they're taken to Lopan, tied to wheelchairs. And when they meet Lopan this time, he looks completely different from what he looked last time now he's like a decrepit old man wheelchair bound and he just looks really gross and old you know (laughs) like really gross
0: a little bit of like uh the grandpa from the texas chainsaw master just like super old age makeup like older than a human being should ever be type yes yeah 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 and it's not perfect but it's pretty good like you can tell it's makeup but it's Mm -hmm. certainly conveys age and in yes. an advanced age that a human wouldn't normally be.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and that's good that you bring that up, because in this scene, both Lopan and Wang explained that Lopan was cursed with incorp. Oh, my God, I can barely pronounce this word. Help me out here. Incor- Incorporeal. Yeah. In in like his his young form, he can't touch anything or interact with anything But the only way he can become flesh and bone and can interact with objects and people in the world is if he takes on this decrepit old man form. Right. But to break this curse, he has to find and marry a Chinese girl with green eyes and then kill her to appease this emperor that placed the curse on him like 2,000 years ago.
0: He has to pull an O.J. Simpson.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Let's not... (laughs) Come on, it's, it's the like one person canceler. we're allowed to offend. Come on, <laughs> yeah, you're right. he's OJ. I mean, he's in prison now, right? So
0: I don't think he is.
1: Uh, I thought he was brought back to prison.
0: He was brought back to prison recently, like 15 years ago, but he got out recently, oh. more recently than that.
1: <laughs> well, Jack and Wang are then moved into a different cell where immediately Jack flips his wheelchair over and begins to free himself and Wang. But as this is going on, Gracie, Margot, the reporter, and Eddie... They decide that Jack and Wang have been in the building far too long, so they go in to try to find them or help them out. But they are subdued by one of the Storms. Shortly after, Jack and—I'm trying to remember how this goes. I think it's Jack and Wang escape only oh, after yeah, the one of the Storms, storms in.
0: comes. in. Yeah, one of the Storms yeah. comes in, yeah. and then they attack him, and then that's— and we established that the guy can shapeshift to some degree. Well, he
1: can, he can like... Get bigger? Yeah, puff his body up.
0: Right. But which one is that? is that Thunder, by the way? I, I mean, Yes, I the, yeah, that was Thunder. But it doesn't really yeah. matter. Lightning is the only one who's really like distinctive in, in his, well, yeah, or I should say in his abilities matching his name, I guess.
1: Yeah, and well, and then that leads to a kind of a fun scene where they lock Thunder in the cell. And the three of them escape, but Jack has been, like, (laughs) thrown down this hallway in his wheelchair. Yeah. I was like that when I was a kid.
0: And he almost tumbles into the well where um, Buffalo Bill is holding the senator's daughter.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So shortly after that, Eddie leads Jack and Wang to all these these cells where Gracie and uh, Margot are kept. And also what I presume are a lot of sex slaves. Yeah. So, while well, Eddie and, and Wang deal with all these female guards, Jack is busy blasting away the locks on all these doors to free all these women.
0: Oh, and this is this is where we we learn first of all that Wang knows martial arts. Like we we haven't really seen him fight yet and now was, all of a sudden he's a competent yeah, he's fighter. He's not great. And,
1: and I mean and it looks good. I think like all the fighting in this movie looks pretty good for the most part. Other yeah, than...
0: I like it's 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 shot in a way where you can always see what's happening, even even the big street fight,
1: mm-hmm. where
0: it, I would say it's a hectic scene because there's so many people, but the editing is never hectic. You always understand what's going on within an individual shot, which is nice,
1: yeah. So everybody makes their way into the sewer system to escape, and uh, they come out near the entrance of the building. This also leads to another kind of great action scene. Where they're about to escape through the door, but there's uh, these gang members, these bad gang members behind the door. So, Wang takes them all out in this really cool scene of him just, like, punching people across the room, kicking people onto tables and stuff. And then uh, Kurt Russell dives out from behind a shelf with his gun and his knife after everybody's already been knocked out.
0: Yeah, because he, uh, he, uh, like, dropped his knife or something.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And, again, he's such a bumbling idiot in this movie but he's so great he's a great character well everybody runs out of the building unfortunately though gracie doesn't she gets kidnapped by a hairy sasquatch monster thing that kind of comes out of the wall kind of like like a
0: like a mix between like an orangutan and like bigfoot because there's like an orange quality
1: he's a ginger bigfoot
0: a lovable lovable monster who's uh got like one expression cuz the mouth doesn't really move and he's yeah, just it's like just it's like fun, the same thing from Harry creature. and the Henderson's
1: just ugly. a little
0: bit a little, a little bit more monstrous than that Harry and yeah. the Hendersons, <laughs> you know you, you, it's a family movie you got to make it so he looks like he can be friendly
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and this bigfoot creature like takes Gracie down into the he chains are up yeah, yeah, he takes her down to, like, the depths of this build. Now we're, like, really entering this weird mystical mystical Chinese world. And he, she gets chained up, and uh, uh, Lopan comes and talks to her. Back at the restaurant, after they've realized that Gracie's not with them, Jack, Wang, Egg Shen, and the Chang Sing all come together to rescue Gracie and Miao Yan and kill uh, Lopan. They all head to Egg Shen's place and descend into like this world beneath the streets of Chinatown, which is, I I just I love the set. It's all like it looks ancient, you know, and it's all covered in moss and gunk. And there's like a river running through the middle of this set, but it's not. It's like a river of fog.
0: Kurt Russell says like, "Hey, that's not water," and yeah. Egg Shen is like, "It's it's the blood it's of the, black, the earth.
1: It's the black blood of the earth." He goes, "You mean and oil?" And then he's
0: like, "What <laughs> what do you mean oil?" And he's like, "No, it's the black blood of the earth." And then he goes in this little like story about how the the earth was, like, flipped um, upside down at one point, and, like, something that may or may not be a thing mm-hmm. in Chinese mythology, but I, I like just, like, little details like that.
1: Stuff like that made the world feel, I, I don't know, not, not real, but it kind of gave some credibility to the world, if that makes sense, you know? Like, you could be like, oh, this is really neat. This is all in lore or something, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I think there's enough too of um, there. There's a good um, dynamic with uh, Wang and Jack Burton because Jack Burton doesn't believe any of this stuff, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But Wang, Wang is always like, "No, no, no like Jack, you, you have to be Chinese, and I'm Chinese, and I don't even like understand half of this." There's, there's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's first yeah. of all, it's a perfect dynamic to have Jack as like the protagonist because things are explained to him, so they're mm-hmm. explained to us. Yeah. But then Wang too, as like a balancer, like Egg Shen is the one who knows all of this stuff, believes all of it. Wang just kind of knows a little bit so he can kind of help Jack along, but there's still a lot of stuff that's mysterious and weird to him. And then, but once we get Egg Shen fully in, engaged in the story, which is really just in this last act, then, then it becomes more, things become more clear, I guess.
1: Like you have these non-Asian characters, which are like the conduit through which the audience receives all of their information. And it's not even just Jack Burton, it's like it's other characters too. And then and then even Wang, because he's like, I don't even understand all this, like as you mentioned. But it just it makes for like a really kind of interesting way to get information across to the audience. I, I really enjoy it.
0: But it also works cause this next scene with um the two women mm-hmm. when they're like hypnotized or whatever everything's told visually there we don't have any exposition as to like what's going on and we still kind of get what's going on at least a little bit
1: yeah so like while all the while the group is moving through this underworld we keep cutting back to this weird ceremony that lopan has and it's i think it's the ceremony of the burning blade because i think it was mentioned earlier yes it was mentioned
0: yeah and if they survive that then they're worthy of marriage or something like that
1: yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, because he but wants
0: he, to marry both of them because they both have green eyes.
1: Well, yeah. Well, he wants to marry both of them, but then kill Gracie Law
0: because right. he has to and kill one and, of them to, to right. break yeah. the
1: curse or whatever fully. As you mentioned, that scene's done really well. First off, like all the kind of like martial arts weaponry stuff is really interesting to look at. But then you're right. Like from our viewpoint, it doesn't really like nothing really makes sense. But it's just you realize what's going on after it's happened you know you're like oh this is some weird kind of ritual where they have to touch a pearl <laughs> on the ceiling and uh, oh I guess I guess they're worthy but anyway so that's all going on and this is also <laughs> this is also the same time where we see a monster that you mentioned earlier it, like yeah comes the out of monster in the wall. <laughs>
0: snatches one of the um was the the Wang Chung gang what are they called
1: yeah yeah, yeah the the you know what are they called <laughs> It's not (laughs) Wang Chung, because that's a band. The Changsing.
0: Changsing, yeah. The monster snatches one of those and just kind of dips out of there. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. You just see it for one shot, and it's
1: really cool. And I don't know, the world is so weird, but I love it. So after trekking through this underworld and stuff, and fighting this monster, and shooting at an eye monster that acts like Lopan's spy, and strolling through Lopan's palace, Eggshan's group arrives at the wedding. Now... We kind of mentioned this room earlier, but it's like this huge cavernous room full of these giant stone statues that are outlined with neon lights. And it's just such an interesting visual. You know, like it just looks so, I don't know, it's also eye-popping and just interesting to look at. So they let Lo Pan complete the ceremony.
0: Because they, can, they can't they can't—they touch him. They can't injure exactly, him or yeah. kill him until he's human.
1: And then when this big battle breaks out between the Changsing and the bad gang from earlier, and Wang is fighting Rain. Uh, one of the one of the three storms and they're sword fighting and stuff and flying through the air and kicking each other and stuff and Egg Shen is fighting Lo Pan with like this magic like this magic sword fight thing. Jack Burton, while everybody else is doing things, spends most of his time on the floor in this battle. First he knocks himself out with some rocks that he shoots out of the ceiling and then like a body falls on him (laughs) after he stabs him. And they spends the majority of this battle trying to get the body off of him.
0: Oh, that was the, probably the coolest thing he did, other than maybe a, a little bit later in the movie. But the guy, he's on the ground, and the guy is going to dive on him with a sword. Mm-hmm. And he has his knife in his boot, and he just sticks it up and stabs the guy. That's pretty cool. It's yeah, a yeah, funny I mean, action quick thinking, movie you know? moment. Yeah. It's it's not as awesome as like anything that happens in the next movie, but it's pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. So eventually when Jack does get up, him and Gracie chase Lopan back upstairs into his palace place. (laughs) I love it because Jack Burns got lipstick all over his mouth from kissing Gracie in the elevator going up because she's just decked out in this beautiful makeup. (laughs) The only thing he has with him is a knife and he's going to throw it at Lopan. And he totally whiffs. He totally misses. (laughs) And the look he gives is like, oh, I'm such an idiot. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. the best look of 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 disappointment i've seen in a movie Lopan picks the knife up and says well I'm, now i'm gonna kill you jack burton and he whips the knife at him but man those reflexes work pretty fast and jack catches the knife and then just throws it right back at him hits him right in the forehead and kills him dead wang is still kind of fighting with thunder but thunder comes back in the room and sees that Lopan has died so he literally explodes from anger
0: yeah it's kind of like the monty python um Fat man. The uh, meaning of life or whatever. Yeah. The yeah. guy just grows giant and explodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's a little disturbing. The effects like obviously they're fake and you know it's you know, it's not a real human exploding, but well, <laughs> the effect is no, the effect is disturbing. You know what I mean? Well like it's just like a disturbing I mean, sure, looking like. effect. Where like his eyes are bugging out and there's steam coming out of his nose and ears and stuff. Yeah, so they run out into the hallway, the building is collapsing. And uh, they run into lightning. And Egg Shen helps them climb up through a hole in the ceiling with like a crossbow thing. And then he throws a big Buddha statue on lightning, killing him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then they all escape. And they all head back to the restaurant to celebrate. Wang and Miao Yin are preparing to marry. You can tell they're in love. Eddie and Margot kind of have a thing going on. Egg Shen decides to go off traveling somewhere. And... At the end, you have kind of like these two characters that you want to get together. You have Jack Burton and Gracie Law, but nothing really happens. Like, there's like some tension there, like some sexual tension there. But Jack just leaves. He's like, well, maybe I'll be back around. We'll see. Maybe I'll see in the future. And he just leaves. He walks out into the fog of San Francisco. But then we see him driving his truck and again spouting nonsense on his radio. And then the, the Bigfoot creature has stowed away in the back of his truck. Right. And then that's the end of the movie. So Patrick, my dear friend, what did you think on your rewatch of Big Trouble in Little China? What did you think about it?
0: Yeah, I I, I like the movie. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite John Carpenter film. I do really appreciate the commitment to the protagonist never having a goddamn clue what's going on. I think that (laughs) makes for a very funny, entertaining experience. And I think Kurt Russell plays that very well. And I like the the world, the, um, the look of the world, whether it's, you know, the creatures, the monster design, which we didn't spend a whole lot of time on the eye creature. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever.
1: Oh, yeah. He was covered in eyes. He looked gross.
0: His tongue was an eye. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. His nose, the tip of his nose was an eye, too.
0: Yeah, and it just looked amazing, too. Like, I don't even know how they did all that in that. I mean, the other monsters, it's like, okay, it's a guy in a costume. This one, I'm like, yeah, I don't really know. I know I did see somewhere on IMDb Screaming Mad George has a credit and Screaming Mad George is known for weird ass like horror makeup lots of bug stuff like he did oh, yeah, um, okay. but but I want to say he had a different credit than I thought he would have on this movie he wasn't under like makeup I don't even think he was under special effects I think he was under visual effects which is not the department that I would associate him with, but maybe this is one of his first movies or something. Maybe that's where he started. But um, screaming Mad George, another Asian American, given a job by this film, <laughs> just like all these Gerald Akramura, Al Leong, all these guys.
1: Now, um, I mean, th- that eye creature could have been him because I don't think it was like an actual physical effect. I think it was all done. I know it is. It's
0: like it a CG. is. It no, it's not a, a CG. Although this, um, I want to say this uh, was wasn't this ilm or something like that they had um, oh i don't know i there was like a i want to say there was a big production company in the um in the visual effects like it was more so than i would have thought but i could be wrong visual effects okay boss no okay no it was richard edlund who that's a name i've come across before let me look up what he did Right as the Lost Ark, Poltergeist. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, so it's a big name doing the visual oh, effects.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think I have that written down, actually.
0: Yeah. big uh, Visual effects on Big Trouble in Little China, Screaming Mad George. It's just a little um, weird. But, anyways, I, I've mentioned him a couple times on this podcast before. Born in Japan, incredible makeup effects artist. I would love to know what he specifically did in this movie because I'm, I'm just curious. Because he, he's like the master of like weird, surreal, like almost. Dully inspired like, melting creatures and stuff like that. He does that so well. And one of, like, five people involved in Freddy Krueger's death at the end of Nightmare on Elm Street 4, that was, like, a an Avengers of, like, big horror makeup <laughs> effects artists, like, working on that because it was such a complicated effect. He was one of those. And, yeah, I, I love Screaming Mad George. I love that he had a role in this, even though I'm not really sure what that role was. <laughs> but, no, I, I like the movie. It's not my favorite thing, but I do I do love the look of the world with the creatures, the sets. I think the, 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 it's a good cast, even, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I love the dude who plays Egg Shen, Egg Shen uh, Victor Wong. I think he's great. James Hong, I think, does a really great job of, like, obviously James yeah. Hong. James Hong, classic character actor. This is one of the few movies I've seen him in where he's, like, really has, like, a big role, right? Because he's always just like a minor guy like i think he's in yeah yeah he's always too. like
1: like vendor or yeah yeah or he's
0: the the thing i remember him best for he's the um seinfeld yeah seinfeld the chinese <laughs> restaurant episode he's yeah. the guy who yeah. is a cart ride for
1: yeah cart ride? <laughs> he's that guy. that's one of my favorite jokes in that show <laughs> yeah I, you know i i love this movie so much and again it's it's just such a fun world to throw yourself into for an hour and 40 minutes you know, it's it's interesting. It's funny. Uh, we didn't really talk about the comedy in it that much. But there's a lot of like funny lines or like throwaway lines or or scenes.
0: Well, I, for me, most of the comedy just comes from the lead character just being this kind of bumbling idiot. Like I, yes, I think yeah. that the comedy mostly comes from kind of a fish out of water main character, at least for me. I know there's like more on the nose funny stuff like like you mentioned the moment where he knocks himself out by shooting you know the 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 ceiling and in some rocks fall yeah. him. there's like other bits like that
1: i don't want to call him a cute character but he was at the end of it he was this cute funny quirky lovable buffoon
0: he's constantly kind of poking holes in like the dramatic situations of the movie if you will because they have that mm-hmm. scene where they're in the wheelchairs and they're talking to low pan and Lopan is describing his, his you know, he needs to marry someone with <laughs> green eyes or something. And he's like, well, yeah. you know, there's millions of people out there with green eyes. You haven't been looking too hard. You've been on this earth how long? And, like, he's doing <laughs> those kind of things. And those, that's pretty funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I just think it's a great movie. And I it saddens me a bit to know that it, it didn't do that well in theaters. But I'm kind of glad it didn't because I think, like, the, the last time before – the other day, that I watched this movie was in theaters. Uh, Cineplex had, like, a classic movie night or something. So me and a friend of mine went to go see it, and there was only, like, five other people in the theater. But okay. It was great. I got to see Big Trouble in Little China on screen, you know, on this big theater screen, and it was just amazing. It was a fun experience, and, yeah, it's it's just sad that this movie's kind of fallen to the wayside, really. It, it, it really but it hasn't, fantastic. though.
0: It, it fell to the wayside, but it's been picked up, and it's, it's... This is a... Like you were saying, this is a cult classic. This is you know, for John Carpenter, who obviously had a very big career, like I said, a lot of his best movies were not that successful when they came out. But this is considered a top five John Carpenter movie. I think you said it's your favorite. It's not mine. It's probably my fifth or sixth favorite. Because I'm one of the few who's seen Elvis. And I think Elvis is amazing. His uh, TV (laughs) movie with Kurt Russell. It's a very, very good movie, actually. But, I, you know, I, The Thing and Halloween, I love. And then I, I, you know, I love Starman. I think Starman is kind of underrated. Starman's good, yeah. Starman is, is like the is like the opposite of all other John Carpenter movies where it did well when it came out, and I feel like nobody talks about it now. It's like, whereas like The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, I don't think They Live was even that successful when they came out. And those are movies that are really talked about and hyped up today. And I feel like Starman is everybody as good as those. Maybe not as good as The Thing, but it's an excellent movie and just it's it's, uh, that it's fallen off people's radar it's fallen to the wayside starman has this movie hasn't
1: okay well there you go folks it hasn't fallen (laughs) off to the wayside so uh go out and watch it if you haven't seen it because it's fantastic i recommend this movie to everybody all the time i really do it's a fun
0: movie it's i think it's got a lot to offer you don't have to be into like 80s action to really enjoy the movie because it's not like 80s was the decade of like big shoot 'em up and like arnold and stallone and all these like ripped people it's not that kind of action and it's certainly a lot sillier
1: also i want to talk real quickly the score for this movie is pretty awesome it's like synth 80s with like, like- well it's the
0: classic carpenter alan howarth or out Al- howarth however you pronounce that name score because yeah. originally carpenter did the scores by himself and then at some point he started collaborating with this guy they might have collaborated on halloween 2 i i, I'm not, did, I can't remember if that's like, just carpenter but halloween did 3 like, is both of them this is they, both of them
1: yeah and they also they did like i think almost every halloween well every halloween
0: no you're just flat out wrong
1: no who was well hold on i looked it up well, well ha- it? halloween not 4 they,
0: is just howarth it's no john yeah, carpenter you're right. that's that's halloween right. 5 i don't know halloween 6 i want to say barely even uses the. well there was there's also Famously, two widely different edits of Halloween Six. So maybe one of them uses classic Carpenter music, one of them doesn't. And then the the recent ones, it's Carpenter, but no Howarth. He Carpenter w- works with one of his sons, or maybe his only son. I don't know. Oh. And then also, uh, some guy Davies, who's the son of one of the Kinks. I don't know if it's Ray or
1: Dave. So uh, let's move on. I think we're done.
0: All right. So. The Street Fighter, like I said, a movie I had never seen before. I chose it because I wanted to see it. I was interested in it. Martial arts movies overall, just a genre I haven't seen enough of. And I think this is actually the only, the, the uh, really the first Japanese martial arts movie I've seen. The most martial arts movies I've seen are Hong Kong films or, you know, American films. Or I think, what's The Raid? I think The Raid is Indonesian or something.
1: I think so, yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah, and maybe I've seen a a, a Korean martial arts movie or two, but yeah, I don't think I've seen a whole lot of Japanese ones. And now I've seen one, and I will say that this movie was kind of everything I was hoping it would be. (laughs) Um, I kind of love this movie. First of all, I I, I watched it on Tubi. Me too, yeah. It it was the dubbed version on Tubi, so I just want to establish that that is the version that we both saw. Yep. And that's important because character names are apparently different in the dub <laughs> versus the <laughs> subtitled version so PR, yeah but a little bit of background on this movie this movie was one of the first films released in, in the u.s under new line cinema oh, so it was okay. bob shea future horror legend for his role kind of in the nightmare on elm street series this was one of his first successes even i noticed in the credits it said uh, title sequence by jack shoulder I don't know if you remember that name, but Jack Shoulder, director of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, he was involved in some of the early New Line movies when oh, okay. New Line started producing its own movies. Because New Line started as a distribution company. Also, I believe it was Bob Shea that gave Sonny Chiba the name Sonny Chiba. Because he, when this movie came out in Japan, he just went by his real name, which is Shinichi Chiba. And then... Robert Shay looks at that and says, "Yeah, people don't know how to fucking pronounce that." Like, gives him a gives him <laughs> like, an anglophonic that. name. Yeah, so another another thing about this this is obviously a very violent movie, and I and I knew that going in. I knew I knew this was like a super violent movie and a lot more violent than the other martial arts movies we've done, which is part of the reason I wanted to see it. But this was actually the first movie I, I guess released in the U.S. that was rated X strictly for violence.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I believe it. I believe it.
0: X-rated movies up to this point were very sexual. Like there might have been violence, but they would have been things like um, you know, Last House on the Left, which has like a a major rape scene that goes on for a long time, or Midnight Cowboy was rated X when that came out and that was honestly, it's not that racy of a film, but but it had gay characters and ooh, that's, you know, frightening in 1969. <laughs> What was it? Another oh, A Clockwork Orange was um, rated X as well, which that you know that has rape, that has drug use, beating a woman with a giant penis chair and stuff. Like there's there's some yeah. there's more than just violence in A Clockwork Orange. So yeah, in this this movie there there's some sexual elements to it, but not enough to get an X rating, and it really is just for the violence, which is kind of neat.
1: Mm-hmm. I will say because I didn't I didn't look anything about this movie up. Like you were like, hey these are the movies or like hey this is the movie i'm picking you're picking big trouble oil china i said okay great i didn't tell you
0: you're picking that i was just i was just saying like
1: (laughs) no 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 i I know you weren't but you know what i'm saying you mean
0: in the end of the last episode
1: (laughs) yeah and i was like and i was like oh that's right that's the movie i have to watch again i didn't look anything up about it and i was genuinely surprised at the amount of gross gory stuff that's in it (laughs) creative gory stuff there's some real
0: creativity here (laughs)
1: Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> including one of the greatest shots in film history, if you ask me, the X-ray punch. Oh, dude,
1: uh, which, yeah, which, that, that great. That's, that's
0: like the one thing I knew about the movie before I saw it. But obviously Sonny Chiba passed away recently. I had not heard of this movie until after he passed away, and I heard this was kind of his crowning achievement, if you will. It's kind of like what made him an international star. So anyways, well, the movie starts out... You have this guy named Terry. This is Sonny Chiba. He is posing as a Buddhist priest, and he is going to visit a man on death row, a karate fighter who has been convicted of killing, like, seven people or something like that. Yeah. He greets him in the cell. He does the little karate, like, hands in front of him and, and like, a little bow, and then the guy who previously has said he doesn't want to speak to anyone, not a lawyer, not a priest, now suddenly wants to speak to him because he recognized that this guy knows karate. It's as simple as that. There's like a brotherhood amongst these people, you know? Mm-hmm. After the guards leave, they talk a little bit, but then they just get in a fight. And <laughs> it's awesome because the um, it's like the, it cuts to the title like in the middle of the fight, which is so cool. <laughs> it's just like a freeze frame title comes up and then the fight continues. And so the fight ends, and this, I mean, it's kind of an unfair fight because this this other guy, Junjo, is his name. He, he's cuffed, so he's, you know, at a disadvantage. But the fight ends when Terry uses this, like, special punch, which uses, like, his has his middle finger out a little bit in, in, yeah. in a fist, and he hits him on the back of the head, and... It's it's some ancient technique that will, like, disrupt the flow of oxygen to your brain. And so he's going to fall and collapse and fall into a coma in a few minutes.
1: Do you know what the name of the punch is? <laughs> uh, no. It's the Oxygen Coma Punch.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, oxy- I, yeah, I thought there was something like that. Yeah, very, very descriptive name. This may or may not be something <laughs> in martial arts. I know there's, like, um, there's all these, like ancient techniques in martial arts and like there's there certain things about like oh if you hit someone even in this particular spot in the body with even the smallest amount of force it, it will kill them or something like I don't know if any of that's true but I've we've all kind of heard about that stuff with certain martial arts right and that's kind of what this thing is to me I don't know if it's real but it functions in the movie and it's perfect after Terry leaves Junjo is taken to the noose he's going to be hanged but right before he does that, he collapses, <laughs> and I like the officials gathering around him it's like, uh, what do we do? Like he's about to be he's about <laughs> to be executed, but he has to go to the hospital, and they're like, Well, you know, it's it's in, in the law that like, we have to treat any prisoner who falls ill. So they take him to the hospital. But as he's in this ambulance, the ambulance gets stopped by this character of Ratnose. And this is Ratnose is kind of um He's not as comic relief-y as kind of his name would suggest, mm-hmm. but he's he's the bumbling sidekick. He's the Jack Burton role where <laughs> he just kind of accompanies <laughs> Terry on all these things, and he really doesn't do a whole lot, and Terry's the one doing everything. But here, Ratnos is actually helpful because he forces the car to stop. He knocks out one of the cops or guards or whatever, and then they end up stealing Junjo. They just take him. <laughs>
1: Well, also, in this scene, like, there's a lot of really interesting camera angles.
0: Yeah, a lot of touch angles.
1: Yeah, and then there's... The, I think it's in this scene where, like, the camera is in the little river when the body's fallen. Like, like when they dump the, the, the cop and, like, the oh, ambulance yeah, driver yeah. in there. I just didn't expect to see that in, like, I don't know, a Japanese kung fu movie from or a a japanese karate movie from 1970
0: not 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 kung fu kung fu is specifically chinese
1: (laughs) well we, we already had a kung fu movie this is our karate movie
0: um yeah well and and also to there's like one line or it's more than one line but it's like one kind of moment where we establish that that terry is actually part chinese and there's something about his father was trying to combine chinese boxing with karate yes yeah but that's it's like a, such a minor part of that. That could have been thrown in in the translation. That might not have been part of the original movie. Who knows? Yeah, I don't think this is a perfect translation in terms of the dub, right? Because they they even imply that the yakuza is originally from Hong Kong.
1: Yeah, which which and is... that's
0: just flat out not true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like to my knowledge, yeah.
1: anyways. Yeah, yeah, because what was it? They were like, oh, yeah, the, the Yakuza, they're based in You guys in Hong have Kong. come
0: down from Hong Kong. Yeah. Is this something? like, what? No, it started in Japan. It's a Japanese word. They started in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, the next day or sometime later, Terry and Ratnose are just kind of hanging out in their apartment or whatever that they live together and It's like a high rise. It's not like a super nice apartment, but we see later, it's pretty freaking high up off the ground. <laughs> And that is when jun brother and sister come in. So apparently they had hired Terry to kidnap the brother, to, take, to break him out of prison. But they don't have the money that Terry required of them they, because they had given him a down payment of some sort with a promise of paying him more after he's out. But since they don't have the money, he's like, I'm not giving you his location. Like, I'm just not. And then he flat out threatens the sister... What's her name? Nachi or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something
1: like that. Yeah.
0: Na- Nachi. Yeah, he says like he's he says something about like making her a whore, and we're thinking like <laughs> this is our protagonist. This guy's <laughs> know, a fucking I asshole. I love it. And then so so a fight breaks out, and Junjo's brother does a jump kick, and Terry ducks. So Junjo Junjo's brother rather goes out the window and falls to his death. We get this fun shot of him upside down falling Whether there's a rear screen projection and then when he hits the ground we see this is just a giant splat of blood which is awesome
1: yeah it is it's really it's really good actually
0: looked a lot better than a similar scene in halloween kills i will say now that we're talking about john carpenter um earlier <laughs> take that john well it's john carpenter didn't direct that film he was just he did the oh, musical that's, score you're some hack that director. john's franchise <laughs> david gordon green <laughs> the uh, comedy legend david gordon green directed <laughs> halloween kills and it shows um anyways <laughs> so after this terry makes good on his threat and he sells nachi into sex slavery and again you're thinking this is our protagonist like what is going on
1: yeah it's pretty rough to be he, like he's yeah. a pretty unlikable character to be honest
0: <laughs> yeah he change if i have a big a big complaint about this movie because overall i did love it i absolutely enjoyed it this was just a thrilling watch beginning to end eventually he kind of becomes a character of honor and it's never clear when that change happens it just kind of happens yeah because here he's just a mean old bastard and he just does stuff for money and he gets away with it because he can just kick anybody's ass and we see that and it's glorious when he does but yeah he sells her into sex slavery and then this businessman Asked to meet with him to discuss, they want to hire him. They want to hire him to kidnap a woman who's being protected by her uncle, who runs this like legendary karate dojo. This woman, Sarai, Sar- Sarai, however yeah. you pronounce it, it's yeah, Sarai. Yeah, Sarai I think sounds right. Um, she's an heiress to a major. I think they is it an oil fortune. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's an oil. That's the dub who knows who knows what business it is originally but yeah um because her father has passed away so she's the central heiress to all of this money as well to a lot of money he's one of the biggest businessmen i guess in in japan but these guys want to hire terry to kidnap her he doesn't want to do it but then he just when he discovers that they're yakuza he's even more like oh shit i am not doing this because he, f- he finds this tattoo on the guy's arm, and it's I guess it's a Yakuza tattoo. But I love the scene when he's leaving. He just gives them this like maniacal smile and just like slow walks backwards out the door. He's just thinking, yeah. like I-, I'm- I can kill you guys whenever I want to. Uh, it's so great because he's-, he's so awesome. But then like the second he leaves, the other Yakuza people, so there's this guy, the guy he sold Nachi into sex slavery to, Mutaguchi— and this woman, I don't I don't recall getting the woman's name. I'm sure she has a name because she's a pretty big character in the movie, but
1: Yeah. Is she, is she the one that's like wearing red throughout the movie?
0: Yeah. Yeah. At one point she looks like a um like an equestrian jumper. She's dressed <laughs> like that. She has like the boots <laughs> ex- and everything. That's
1: exactly it, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um the these are the two they're the heads of this particular Yakuza syndicate. I think she's the head, really, but they say that okay a we need to kidnap her but b we also need to kill terry because he's a bigger threat to us than sarai's uncle even as terry works out at his home gym with Ratnose speaking words of encouragement while well, uh, there's a, there's a funny little there's a funny little reveal where he's he's doing all these pull-ups and then they and you see Ratnose alongside him also doing them, but then the camera just moves a bit, and you see that Ratnose is actually standing on the ground, and he's just <laughs> like, he's not actually doing pull-ups. He's just kind of uh, along for the ride. They're, they're working out. Then a bunch of Yakuza break into the house, and Terry beats the shit out of them. Oh, yeah. I liked this scene. This is our first real big 1v many action scene. We get We get a number of these the way it's shot i think this is this is really interesting to me because my a problem i have with martial arts movies generally speaking and this is just what's the uh you just kind of have to have some uh s- suspend your disbelief a bit but yeah, there's always this like some martial artist and he's fighting a bunch of people oftentimes they're armed either with guns or swords or something and you like kick him you punch him you, you knock him out or whatever but usually you don't actually kill them and then it's like they just don't get up and it's just like you know what i mean like in in big yeah. like one v many scenes
1: yeah or, or or they all take their time to you know like they'll they take they all wait for their turn to attack yeah and that that's character.
0: going on here in this scene where they, for the most part but i also like it's not so much in this scene we see it a lot more later we also see when terry beats the shit out of someone we see them like wailing on the ground in pain which you don't see in other martial arts movies at least not movies that i've seen so you can really see that oh that person cannot get up that person is like done
1: well there's a really rough one right at the end of this scene where he punches the guy in the mouth and he just spits out a bunch of his teeth
0: oh it's incredible that (laughs) is so awesome
1: well there's even a scene near the end where he punches a guy so hard in the gut they just vomit. Like vomit. Yeah. yeah, it just comes out of his mouth. And I'm like, that's disgusting. And it was like chunks of corn and you're like, oh stop it. Yeah, it was just like yeah, it was, really it was cool. like who
0: knows what. It was just great. But yeah, the, the teeth thing, and I, I like you mentioned that. This movie I would say has like a perfect escalation of violence. You know what I mean? The first yeah. scene we have, you know, the fight in the prison cell, nothing extreme. And and then when they when they fight the cops or the guards or whatever to kidnap him. I'm like, okay, nothing extreme. Then he fights the Junjo's brother and sister. I'm like, okay, nothing too extreme. And I'm almost, at this point, I'm almost thinking like, I was told this is like one of the most violent movies ever. Is it just like a little bit more violent than a Bruce Lee movie maybe? But then <laughs> Junjo's brother does a flying kick out the window and falls to his death, and there's like an, a, a Dario Argento amount of blood on the ground. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see it. But... The first big moment of violence isn't even really the result of Terry. So the first real savage Terry moment is punching the teeth out here. It gets more and more until uh, the scene on the ship, I think, is just like one after the other, just people getting... (laughs) People getting wiped out in, yeah, in beautifully horrific and creative ways. People getting killed or
1: maimed in a, in a variety of ways. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: yeah. And so I, but I think it really does build. Like, it, it, it starts you kind of slow. It eases you into the violence and then just goes eventually. Like, right now we're at level 4 or 5 of the violence, and we eventually get to 11 easy, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm thinking there's the one scene that made me uncomfortable, and I'm not— I know, I know, I know the scene. Eventually.
0: Yeah, that's actually because that's that's kind of at the end of the second act. That's arguably the most horrific thing that happens in the movie. Although the the very end of the movie is, is c- compares, but yes.
1: Yeah. Well, so what was that character's name again? I think he had the coolest name in the whole movie. His name was King Stone. I think
0: the the black guy. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't I didn't catch yeah. a name, but yeah, he, I think he, um, that's the
1: coolest character. In King Stone.
0: Yeah, he's involved in the first initial rape of Nachi. And she's being sold into slavery, mm-hmm. and then later on, he is about to rape Sarai, and he gets what's coming to him in a big way, and if in a way <laughs> that, if you've seen, I mentioned Last House on the Left earlier. If you've seen that, this is similar but even more graphic, and yeah, it's amazing. We'll get to it.
1: <laughs>
0: Anyways, so Terry and Ratnos go to the karate dojo with the with Sarai's uncle who is uh, Masaoka. They break in. Again, we kind of see how useless Ratnose is. It's, it's really just Terry doing all the work. And he gets up to Sarai's room and almost like makes like he's going to rape her. Yeah. But he but he ends up threatening her. And he um, says, like, I need to speak to Masaoka. And I was like, listen, I'm going to fight you one-on-one to prove that your karate ain't shit, basically. <laughs> and <Yeah>. and you, <laughs> yeah. you're looking at the actor that plays Masaoka, and you're kind of thinking, like, oh, this won't be... You know this would be a quick fight because the guys he's kind of short and heavy and like doesn't look like he's in great shape and yeah yeah you don't expect him to put up as good a fight as he does but this when they meet in like the gym first it's a couple of um of the pupils that fight and he takes care of him easy but then masaoka actually fights and masaoka is good it's a very even fight for a while but eventually masaoka has the upper hand And he slams him and he like slides across the floor and he goes headfirst into like a table or like some board or something. And then Masaoka comes up to him and says like, you remind me of, of this guy I met years ago in China who, as I mentioned earlier, was combining Chinese boxing with karate. He's like, are you his son? And then we see a flashback within Terry's head to when he was a young boy and his father is being executed as an enemy to the Japanese state. I don't know if it's because he married a Chinese woman, you know, because this is kind of the World War II era, you know. Yeah, yeah. But they shoot him, the death by firing squad. It's weird because it's after he dies is when you hear his, like, last words to his son, which is just kind of weird how they um, edit that. But then the words are basically, don't trust anyone. It's like, okay, so we can kind of see how the father's death has influenced this guy into being just one of the meanest motherfuckers around. Then the theme song kicks in back in the present. And first of all, we we didn't discuss the theme song earlier, but great theme, theme song. So- it's it's a great theme song. It's not um it's it's sort of a combination of two styles of two like subgenres of film that I love because you have the rhythm guitar is doing that like waka chicka waka chika like kind of the black exploitation, the funk yeah, sound yeah. a little bit which is not an unusual sound in martial arts movies. I've heard that in others. And then the lead guitar kind of reminded me a little bit of like a spaghetti western, had that sound to it, which also I want to say I've heard that in in a few martial arts films. But those two things together I think just made it really cool.
1: For for any of you anime watchers out there, uh, much like myself, this uh, this theme is akin to the Naruto battle theme from the original Naruto TV show. So there you go. Sorry. <laughs> okay, you can move on now.
0: Yeah, I just I you can't see my look of disapproval, <laughs> but believe me, you know it's there.
1: I know, I know. I wish we were doing the squadcast things. So I could see your look of disappointment.
0: <laughs> Anyways, as this song kicks in, Terry like regains his strength and ends up fighting Masaoka to like a draw, I guess. I mean, he kind of wins, but I think cuz he won the earlier round is basically a draw and then they end up talking and terry tells them that the yakuza are after his niece and that he would like to help and protect her but sarai is against this because she's like this guy's an animal i don't want him anywhere near me which which is fair i mean the guy is just a a menace
1: (laughs) but (laughs) it really is yeah
0: but masaoka respects him not just, he even says something like, Not I don't just respect your fighting abilities, but I respect you as a man and I'm I'm really not sure why. <laughs> because if there's one thing we've seen of Terry, it's it's that he has no honor. And <laughs> <laughs> he's just I I love it because in, in some ways he's like the least likable protagonist ever. But that's yeah, what well, makes yeah, well, me like him more.
1: Into, into, yeah.
0: Like, I don't like that he sold a woman into sex slavery, but, but I respect that the movie doesn't try to make him a hero, really, and, until it does, eventually kind of does. But I like, this is that era. This is the 70s. This is Dirty Harry, Death Wish. We have these, like, hard-boiled protagonists who kind of ride the line between good and evil. I, there's really not much of a line that this guy rides. He's every bit as bloodthirsty as the villain's.
1: Yeah, well, and, and really, I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier, it's hard to tell when he kind of became the good guy. Yeah. And it's it's got to be after this scene in the, in the dojo, right, where he kind of has something to do, which is protect Sarai. Uh, right,
0: I, I suppose. But even then, he's still later talking about the money he wants to get, though. There's still not really the attachment to the nobility, I guess, of the goal.
1: Yeah, that's fair. You're right.
0: But you're right. I think it has to be this scene here. And I think it has to be maybe the faith that Masaoka puts in him or something. Because, again, Masaoka recognizes that he's a good guy, even though we don't know why. (laughs) Because I would say it's like, oh, maybe it's the invoking of his father. Except his father's whole thing was, his. we see that his father's dying words were, don't trust anybody like stick out only stick up only for yourself yeah so it's like that can't really be the reason why he ends up kind of pursuing no noble goals so i i don't know it's just it, it's a it's a blot against the movie to be perfectly honest but at the end of the day this is one of those movies where if you want to see action if you want to see horrific acts of violence being performed on teeth and <laughs> guts and heads and penises then this is the movie for you really i mean it's it's just (laughs) i don't need this movie to be character driven is what i'm saying i think it maybe would have been a little bit better if they did something a little bit different with the character but you know for what it is it's very good
1: yeah yeah i'll agree with that
0: so at this point the yakuza recruits help from hong kong which involves Din Sao. Who, who I guess is some uh, gang leader there. I don't know if he's a triad or, again, this is uh, the universe where well, the Yakuza or, originated <laughs> in Hong Kong, so maybe yeah. he's, he's a Yakuza leader. And then they also find Junjo, who is hanging out at a bar, and he's eventually taken to see the, the prostitutes that, that, that they have to offer, and he recognizes his sister, and he's like, oh, my God. Uh, and then he talks <laughs> to the sister, and the sister says what happened, and says that Terry did this, you need to kill Terry. Mm -hmm. And even earlier, I think there was a line, I don't know if it was a Terry line or if it was a Junjo line. I think it was a Terry line, but in that scene in the prison, I think he said something like, I would be honored to meet you in a death match, like if you were to ever get out of prison or something like that. So so it was set up a bit earlier, but now big time motivation for Junjo.
1: Yeah, and also because I think, I'm pretty sure you mentioned this at the beginning, but he was the... He's the last great street fighter of Okinawa, I think. So they have kind of like a— Oh, is he? Yeah. Wait, Junjo? Yeah, so they have this kind of like street fighter bond sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, there's there's a—well, we see uh, later on there's a a bit of a— the honor of martial arts is kind of invoked a little bit by Dinsau. And again, this is like, as someone who never learned martial arts— but it knows just a tiny bit about it. There's there's a lot of focus on, like, a respect, and it's an art form, and you have to honor and respect the art form, but you also have to respect your opponent. and, and There's a little bit of that invoked by Dinsau, notice amongst the two white people that don't get the honor of the, of the, of the fight going on, which we'll get to that later. But... <laughs> So at this point this is this is the greatest scene in cinematic history coming up here actually. Well actually it's probably not even my favorite scene in the movie but my favorite moment in the movie. So Ratnos and Terry are following Sarai in their car but traffic stops and Terry and Ratnos their car is picked up by one of those uh, bulldozers or not a bulldozer what do you An excavator and it's dropped into like this big reservoir basically.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's like amazing when it happens you're thinking like oh shit there's no way they die <laughs> or they, there's no way they live. Yeah. But of course they do cuz you know he's Terry. But uh a couple <laughs> of yakuza I, th- I think it's two of, two of them go up go go down into the reservoir open up the car door they struggle to open up the car door which is interesting because you notice when the car got dropped the door clearly opened when it hit the ground so someone closed it (laughs) rat knows who's badly injured and as he usually is in the movie completely useless this is all terry terry fights back he he fights these people and he does the coolest move ever which is the x-ray skull punch we he, he like jumps up at this guy yeah then we like moral combat thing to a shot of an x-ray skull and then then a hand like a, a bony hand coming and hitting it on the top of the skull. you see it's it's a really brief shot, but you see a moment where where the skull caves in just a tiny bit because it's it's like a rubber prop, I'm sure. And then we we cut back to the non-x-ray view, and that guy just spews blood out of his <laughs> mouth. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's really it cool. Is it's really probably
0: cool. probably the coolest thing I've ever seen in a movie, and I'm not exaggerating. It is up there. <laughs> one of the, like, so awesome. I've got the GIF pulled up on my computer. I'm looking at it right now. There's two separate GIFs, because there's the one with the blood spewing. <laughs> there's the one where it's just the skull.
1: Yeah, well, there's also a point later on in the movie, I mean, it's not, like, as cool as the X-ray, as the X-ray skull shot, but uh, he, like, chops somebody in the head, and you can see their head is caved in, and they <laughs> and their head just starts bleeding profusely.
0: That's the samurai guy I think you're talking about, right? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Anyways, so, and then, obviously, Terry kills this other guy. So, Terry and Ratnos go to the office of the yakuza people they fight a few more people um they fight this like big guy i want to say they killed him in a pretty cool way but i can't remember exactly but i'm sure it was cool and horrifically violent then they come across junjo junjo and sister jun junjo and nachi Mm -hmm. they fight for a bit and this is important because i well at one point because there's a dagger involved like a Raphael dagger junjo brings that and he throws it and it misses and and Terry picks it up, and he threatens Nachi with it. And Junjo has an important line where he says, you can't threaten me with her life because she would gladly die if it meant that I would kill you or something. And it's like, oh, that's kind of <laughs> that's yeah, kinda yeah. harsh and brutal. But <laughs> hey, it comes back later <laughs> uh, in, in a big way. He's not wrong. He's not lying. <laughs> um, but Terry, before he can be defeated, which I'm not really sure if he's ever truly losing this fight, But he ends up jumping out the window onto the truck that Ratnose has started, and they take off. I don't know when they got this truck. I guess this is the the Yakuza truck that stopped in front of them that forced them to get picked up by the excavator, right? Because their car's obviously fucking totaled. (laughs) So then they head to—I don't actually know where they're going at this point. But meanwhile, Sarai is kidnapped. And Sarai's own uncle has turned against her at this point, right? Isn't that what that
1: scene was? Uh, yeah, I'm struggling to really remember. I have something written down about it, but because they're like pulling
0: confused. up to to a, they're like pulling up to a home, or maybe not a home. Maybe it's the karate dojo.
1: I didn't think that her was drivers her uncle. I feel. I thought,
0: was. Th- I thought it was the uncle because her drivers feel threatened, and then they start fighting, and then they take off, and then they stop in the road because the blind samurai and Dinsau are there and it's Dinsau that kidnaps her.
1: Yeah, well, I thought it was the, um, there was like a guy who was like a part of her father's company and he met with her a few scenes Yeah, but I, I, we
0: don't, we don't see that guy. That's the white guy you're talking about, right? Cause we don't, that guy doesn't really get involved until on the ship, I don't think.
1: Oh, I thought it was a, I thought it was a Japanese man. Anyways. Oh, maybe yeah, we're talking I, about a
0: different person then I don't know, but
1: either way, it's confusing, but you're right. she does get killed well
0: if, if the uncle doesn't turn against her we'd we'd never see the uncle again. We never see the uncle again at any rate, whether he turns against her or not. I thought he turned against her. I could be wrong. this is a little kind of um this this kind of section in the movie because they go to the samurai because because I'm not really sure why they're following Sarai to begin with. I'm talking about Terry and Ratnose here because Sarai doesn't want them hired. But they're yeah. following her. I don't know where Sarai is going, first of all. Then Terry, even though they should be trying to follow Sarai, they divert and go to the Yakuza hideout. Well, I guess because they want to kill people, but I don't know. Yeah, this this section of the movie a little confusing. Sarai has been captured, and she's held captive in this beautiful location alongside a riverbank there mm-hmm. on, like, a hill. Not quite a cliff, but a very steep hill. And looks like a beautiful, like a, like a, almost like a hotel room. This looks like a very nice. Yeah, that's what uh, I was gonna area. say. It
1: looks like she's holed up in a hotel.
0: Yeah. Oh, overlooking a river, and she notices that Terry and Rat who. I don't know how they know she's there, but they know. They're approaching in a boat, which is very loud, by the way. I want to point that out. <laughs> it's, this is not a uh, stealthy <laughs> entrance.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Meanwhile, that black guy that you named earlier, I don't remember. King the name. Stone kingstone comes into the room and he's supposed to just give her her food but he decides to rape her and while this is happening (laughs) sorry yeah (laughs) while this is happening terry climbs up the hill and then sneaks in and kills the guy and how does he kill him by ripping his dick and or balls off amazing yeah. stuff i understand this is the scene earlier that you said was a bit too much i understand that i perfectly get that but i respect the hell out of, out of a moment like this you know they went there they went there a lot of movies wouldn't
1: yeah i'll be honest it was really impressive it was really yes. impressive to see uh it was exciting <laughs> but as soon as it happened yeah I was like, oh, like I, 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 clen- I clenched a bit. I kind know? of
0: expected it. I kind of expected it. I, I did not know about this movie beforehand, but I kind of expected it because it would be like a fitting poetic death for this guy, right? Because he's the yeah. rapist and everything. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, okay all the if time. there's poetic justice in this film's <laughs> universe, and there might not be because you can argue Terry deserves to die as much as anybody. <laughs> but if there's poetic justice here, this guy's going to get it. And yeah. he does. So Terry takes Sarai down to the boat. They're being swarmed by dozens of guards, martial artists, Din Sao among them. And Terry has them get away on the boat and he stays back to fight. And you have kind of the first real Terry versus Din Sao action, which this is kind of set up as like a. I think his his two big real. His, his two real big competitors in terms of. You were the adversaries in terms of martial arts skill are junjo and dinsao yeah really i mean i mean because everyone else is just like you know he's got the businessman to him yeah pretty much even the um you brought up the blind samurai earlier he sort of he's important later for something he does but there's not really like a that's just like a one-off fight i think but anyways at any rate the fight is interrupted by the Yakuza people, and Terry is captured, where he's taken to the top of the cliff, tied to a, a tree, and is beaten. And uh, meanwhile, he has told, told Ratnose to like wait at a specific spot, and after a while, Ratnose is he's getting worried because he hasn't arrived yet, so he goes out there try and see what's up. He then gets captured, but he's trying to speak to get them to release Terry, and he's even willing to give up Sarai's position which Terry tells him not to do which and this is that moment where it becomes clear oh Terry's actually a good guy but yeah. we don't really know why because now suddenly he doesn't care he 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 welcomes death as long as it means Sarai can live and, and and that transition's never really clear eventually Ratnose gives away Terry's position but they're still they're still going to kill Terry though and it's Dinsau who takes his sword swings it which breaks the ropes that, have, that hold Terry in place, and it sends him plummeting off the cliff into the river. But as we find later, when Ratnose goes down to the riverbanks to fetch him out, he's still alive. And in a heartbreaking scene, Terry just tells Ratnose to fuck off and says that he doesn't want anything to do with him ever again because he betrayed him.
1: Yeah, and he, he he essentially calls him useless. He's like you're useless, you're bad at what you do, you didn't which which to I've
0: already been kind of saying. So we can see that. Yeah. <laughs> but but at the very least you kind of think like okay, yeah, he's not a fighter. He's not a martial artist. He walks around with like a stick and he hits people with it a few times, but really he's not much of an ally in the fight, but you think at the very least okay, this guy's like a loyal friend. He's a he's a ride or die, right? But no, he's not really or at least he I mean he is, but he screws up massively i guess yeah and i like that it's kind of an it's an emotional scene actually for for this character that's kind of a goofy side character he just starts screaming like terry and he's crying and crying and and it's it's kind of heartbreaking. he even he says like i'll be your slave for the rest of my life just let me redeem myself (laughs) we go to kind of an emotional beat that i don't think you expect from a movie where someone gets their dick ripped off by someone's hand but we go there, and it gets even more emotional later, as I kind of alluded to.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, you, you genuinely feel bad for him. He's like a guy who's got nothing else in his life other than Terry.
0: Right. Yeah. Because what's it, what's his backstory? There's like he, I, he, I think he, he says some of it here. I think Terry like saved him from something, or like he like found him, and I, I don't know. There's like there's like a couple lines. I think it's in this scene where he kind of implies how far back they go or something, and.
1: I guess this heartbreak is short-lived compared to what's coming up directly after this.
0: Well, that's also pretty pretty short-lived. It's 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 a big it's a bigger <laughs> yeah. more effective emotional scene, but in terms of how quickly we move on from it, that's also pretty short-lived, I would say. I know I know the scene you're talking about because later we see yakuza woman, she's taking Sarai to the docks to a ship. And this is I just want to point out I, I, this, this bothered me, you know, I get it, like, you're doing a dubbed movie and you're not doing subtitles, but when we get an establishing shot that pops up and you get these Japanese characters that are clearly telling you what the location is, can we get a subtitle for that location, please? How difficult is that? (laughs) I know, I noticed one of those scenes, it was clearly Hong Kong, because you could see from some of the boats in the water and some of the structures, like, okay, this is Hong Kong. I recognize the iconography of the city. But, like, this, I assume, is, like, Tokyo, but, like, Tokyo Bay or something. Like, it's saying something. They probably even tell us the the name of the ship because we get that scene later on when they're on the ship. It just shows the the big ship and, again, some Japanese characters on board. So they probably told us what the name of the ship is, not that that's that important. Maybe they just told us where they are in the water. But this is where, so Terry has followed Sarai, but this is where he runs into the blind samurai. And they have a little bit of a fight on this big dock pier loading, you know, area. And mm-hmm. then some random asshole comes in on a motorcycle, <laughs> just like kind of out of nowhere. And the blind samurai swings a sword and hits him, and the guy crashes into the wall and just hits the deck. <laughs> and then yeah. the the fight it, it's it's like kind of random but then the fight continues terry of course kills the blind samurai you mentioned it he like hits him on top of the head which like crushes his skull and there's a lot of blood and then he goes and sees that it's rat nose who has arrived on the motorcycle trying to redeem himself and it <laughs> yeah. looks like he didn't really have a plan he just he was just coming to save the day yeah, he, he kind of just got away
1: yeah he barreled in there straight into his sword and then <laughs> collapsed <laughs> Yeah, you got, you got to admire the effort,
0: but you got to question the, the, the methods, I guess. Anyways, this is an emotional scene because we even see uh, Terry even cries. He forms tears in this scene, which, you know, Terry, not exactly the most in tune with his emotions male character. Mm-hmm. You, you can see even when he condemned Ratnose earlier, like, I'm sure he felt bad about it. Like, I'm sure he has a lot of, th- this is a, a true friendship and he just but he felt betrayed and now he feels you know a good sense of honor that this that this character has come back to try and redeem himself but it's just ended horribly of course so all of the yakuza and the evil people are are aboard the ship they bring her to her i guess her lawyer or something who she recognizes and she's happy to see this is a white guy and she's like (laughs) oh you're here and then the guy's like hey i need you to sign this you're i think she's like explaining her story like oh they kidnapped me i didn't have anything to do with this but like he's clearly in on it with them mm-hmm. he gives her a contract he says you need to sign this this will give all of the money to the yakuza and it's like we will force you to sign this and then he even drops the knowledge bomb that oh by the way your father that died he didn't die by himself he needed a little bit of help i think is how he describes it or something and it's like okay I think we could kind of piece that together. <laughs> it's not really a necessary detail, but, you know, I like it. It's um... Meanwhile, uh, it, it, Sao goes up to Junjo and says that he will give him his entire business if he kills Terry. But meanwhile, they're on this ship, and it's like, what's he talking about? Like, Terry's not there. Obviously, Terry arrives there, and he arrives there s- soon after this scene. But it's just kind of like a weird moment. But Din Cao is the one, I guess, again, he's running some kind of Hong Kong crime syndicate. Possibly Yakuza, possibly Triad, possibly who knows. I think he's also the one running the that bar with the sex slaves, I think, too, right?
1: Din Sao? Yeah, I think so, too. I think
0: so. So so here, Junjo, I, I grant you the business where I once enslaved your sister. I mean, he didn't know it was his sister, but still, still it's like that's it's kind of a weird offer. But again, he has to kill Terry first. So Terry gets aboard the ship, and this is my favorite scene of the movie. This is, um, at first he just kills like one guard, and this is of course <laughs> at night. And then it's guard after guard after guard. There's like three people that approach him near a ladder. He beats the shit out of them. This is where you really see like each person who's down is in so much pain. They're just like rolling around on the ground. because. And then this is when he punches the guy in the stomach, which causes him to throw up. There's, like, blood everywhere. It's so violent. Yeah, and then also,
1: like, the there's this one guy. He grabs by the arm and kind of, like, twists him around. And you can see the guy writhing in pain. And then he snaps his arm.
0: He snaps it, like, three or four times. I think he breaks yeah. the arm, like,
1: four times in this scene. It's crazy. Yeah, like, I would die from pain, honestly. If that happened to me in real life, I would just die. But, yeah, like, it's the most <laughs> over-the-top action scene I think we've probably seen in this podcast. I, th- I think
0: any john wick scene is kind of because john wick's very stylized over the top action. it's different kind of over the top yeah but john wick i think is comparable
1: well you're not seeing any vomit or like missing teeth in uh
0: no but you are seeing willem dafoe's face and which is more horrific to look at yeah Anyways, at this point, all of the Yakuza, all of the, the upper class people, all of the more powerful people realize what's going on. So they just send more and more men and they're up on like, what would you call this? Like a, not a rafters, like a balcony or they you know, they're yeah. upstairs.
1: Yeah. They're just like upstairs on the, on the, in the ship, right?
0: Well, I'm just thinking specifically on this like hallway where he's fighting all these guys. And I think only oh. one guy has a gun, and of course yeah. he gets thrown to the ground, and um, and Terry stomps out his foot while while he shoots a few, few bullets just like off into the sky. <laughs> really great stuff. He, he's fighting all these guys. There's a really awesome moment where he kind of gets thrown over the ledge, but he grabs on, and then the other then the bad guy is stomping at Terry's hands to try and get him to let go and fall, but he instead pulls him by the leg and then pulls himself up and like chokes out the guy with his with his own legs, like does a Zinya on a top kind of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then eventually just flings him over the over the balcony to to his death, and this is a huge splat of blood when he hits the ground.
1: It was like somebody threw a watermelon at the ground. Oh yeah. That's what it looked like. Yes. Yeah. It's it's
0: it's it's out there. And so it's a lot more violent even than the um than Junjo's brother when he hit the ground, yeah, yeah. Even though it's a much shorter fall, but but again, that's that escalation of violence. The movie is getting more and more violent as it goes along, uh, which I which I just appreciate from like a um, ramp up level. Like a I hesitate to say dramatic stakes because I don't think this movie has a lot of dramatic power. But
1: no, <laughs> it's but, just but. like. But you're right, because you you reach a certain point where you're like, oh, it can't get any crazier than this, and then it does, and you're like, wow, that's so impressive, that's awesome.
0: Yep. Then Terry breaks into the room where most of the the big bad people are hanging out. He kills the woman. Then as a couple of the white people are about to shoot him, Dinsau stops them and says, no, 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 guys, we let Junjo fight him to the death. And... If Junjo fails, then I will step in and I will kill him. But like, let's not shoot him. And this is like, Dinsao is the one who believes in kind of the the stuff I was talking about, like a, kind of the the honor of martial arts as as an art form, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they agree to fight. They fight outside. It's it's pouring rain, of course. And then so it's and well, first off, Terry says like, if I win, I get to take the girl and we just go away. Yeah, and they agree to it. But meanwhile, there's these two white guys who are, you know, they have second thoughts. And as these two men are fighting, Junjo and Terry, one of the guys shoots Terry in the back, which pisses off Dinsau. Dinsao just takes out his sword and slices up those guys because they had no respect for the honor. And I like this as like a white people don't get it moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. So the fight proceeds. It's a violent fight, but you know it's not a whole lot compared to what else we've seen in the movie. Then Nachi Junjo's sister comes out, and she like pins. She just like hugs him. She just yeah. Like, she she him. hugs him and she like pins him against like a wall, and she says, "Cause um again he's got the Raphael dagger, and she says, You stab me, stab through me, and you will kill us both,' or something." <laughs> so so kind of going back to that line <laughs> yeah. where he said where Junjo said, you know, my sister would be happy to die as long as it meant you also died. And it turns out he was right. <laughs> I mean, she is happy to die. <laughs> so he stabs through his own sister's back, killing her and severely wounding Terry, who's, who steps away very battered, but not dead quite yet. And he falls to the ground. Sarai, who recognizes obviously that, you know, if he dies, she's screwed. She tries to get him up, but it doesn't work. And then... Then Junjo goes in for the final blow, right? he's he, Terry's on the ground, and he's going to just stomp on his head. Or he's going to punch him in the head, I think, because he, he, he leans in. But as he's doing that, Terry turns his head a little bit, and then he reaches up, grabs Junjo by the throat, and then <laughs> rips it off.
1: Yeah, Yeah, rips his throat right out.
0: What I love about that is it doesn't just end there. We get this shot of terry still on the ground holding this like throat in his hand (laughs) yeah in between the camera and his face is this like throat which is who knows like a goat you know something from a goat or a cow or something and he's just holding it and he just starts kind of like laughing like a maniac like a crazy person and then that's pretty much how the movie ends
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: It- <laughs> Dinsau doesn't step in and fight anymore, right? Dinsau, Dinsau's still alive, but yeah. So Dins- Dinsau re- recognizes that, okay, this guy has earned his victory. So he's not there. And, and then as the cr- credits, before the credits kick in, it says the end for now. And, and, you know, this is because obviously by the time this movie was released in the U.S., I'm sure... The sequels, or at least one sequel of this movie, had been made, so they were getting you ready for that, and they said that he'll return in the Revenge of the Street Fighter, I think is the yeah, name of the I, first I, sequel. I, yeah. There's also the—well, it's a re, no, it's Return of the Street Fighter, and then there's the Street Fighter's Last Revenge. It's a trilogy. There's also a couple spinoffs. There's like Sister Street Fighter or Lady Street <laughs> Fighter, which might be the same movie and just alternate titles. They might be two movies. One or both of those might have sequels. I don't know, but there there's a Street Fighter cinematic universe out there if you if you want to find it folks. But that is the Street Fighter. Jim, what did you think of it?
1: It is a fun, action-packed, gory bloodbath of a movie that surprises you with how gory it is. I think it's great. I was genuinely on the edge of my seat for most of it. <laughs> I really wanted to know how it how it uh, how it ended. Yeah, all, all the fighting in it was really impressive. Uh, My favorite fight scene was probably Terry and Kendo at the dojo. Oh, Masaoka, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was great. Everything was just so interesting to watch. And again, like being so violent, I don't want to say it made it more enjoyable, but it did. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was more, there was more weight behind everything.
0: Yes, because this, I think if you look at it, especially because we haven't seen a truly great martial arts film yet on this podcast in terms of You know, Game of Death, there's some great martial arts sequences, but it's this weird Bruce Lee is dead and we're capitalizing (laughs) off of him kind of movie. And then Dolomite obviously is some of the worst martial arts ever captured on film. And then John Wick, it's like there's martial arts, but it's more about the gunplay. This movie, I think there's an argument to be made. I don't think it's a great martial arts film. I don't think the actual martial arts, the choreography, I don't think is that great. It's good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think—so I think it makes up for maybe its deficiencies in that department with the horrific violence. It becomes this, like, ultra-violent, like, Lucio Falci, if Lucio Falci directed a martial arts movie thing. And I, I love that. I, I haven't seen a movie like this. Because the Bruce Lee movies, those are all, those are PG movies. There's a little bit of blood, but, like, the most violent thing that happens there is Chuck Norris gets some of his chest hair ripped off. Like, those aren't really violent, and and I'm sure the Raid is more violent than those, but it's still not this.
1: Yeah, I mean, with a martial arts movie, you expect the movie to be about the martial arts. This movie's about the outcome (laughs) of the martial arts. This movie's about the gore, and this movie's about how badly people can be beaten up, you know, like, and again, I just think of that guy spitting his teeth out in like a river of blood coming out of his mouth. Like, it's So it's so brutal, but it's just so fun to watch. You know, I don't want to sound like a serial killer. Like, oh, I love blood and people spitting teeth out. But yeah, I I just thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: It's again, this movie was kind of what I was expecting it to be in what I knew about this movie. And yet, I don't have a problem with that. It was everything I wanted it to be and kind of more. Like it was, yes, it was very entertaining. I thought the scene when he snuck onto the ship was incredible. It just kept going because he takes out yeah. like three or four people and like, okay, this is an exciting action scene if it ends here. But no, then yeah. it's a couple dozen more people and it just goes on <laughs> for so long. And it's like <laughs> this, it, it's it's like you're watching The Terminator. And that's really oh, what it sure, felt yeah. like. And that that's what Terry is. And that's really fun to
1: see it's it's you have a guy motivated by well actually i I guess at this point he's not really motivated that's the thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's part of the magic of it and we'll get to that he's just a guy that can't be stopped
0: yeah so uh jim which of these two movies did you prefer
1: you know usually i thought i thought i was going to pick big trouble in little china because i love that movie but i have to go with christ what's the name of this movie again (laughs) the street fighter okay (laughs) yeah i (laughs) i have to go with the street fighter it was just something that i wasn't expecting it blew me out of the water with its really knocked your teeth out eh? hey gore yeah
0: (laughs) yeah again oh shut up (laughs) i mean for for the most part the only thing i knew about this movie was i knew it was violent i knew sonny chiba was in it and i knew the skull punch the x-ray skull punch that was about it I didn't realize that the x-ray skull punch was like the eighth most violent thing that happens in the movie, <laughs> which is kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it was all just really impressive. I was, and then even like when you learn that this came out in 74. Well, know, it's wow, Japan.
0: You know, this, this goes along with kind of the running joke of this podcast. I've mentioned Japanese cinema to me is exclusively made up of big monster costumes stomping on miniatures and the most horrifically violent things you've ever seen this movie sticks in (laughs) line with that this is more in common with the takashi miike movies (laughs) than it does with the bruce lee movies you know absolutely in terms of just like this isn't like this isn't your granddad's martial arts picture
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was uh it was it was something much like i tell everybody to go out and watch big trouble in little china if you haven't seen it i'm now going to start recommending this movie to people i'm like oh you want to see some crazy fucking movie
0: i i will recommend this movie to many people too but i but there is a limited audience with this one there yeah. is if this does not have the broad appeal that big Trouble in Little china has there will be people that are turned off by this movie this movie is uh i know i mentioned this earlier i don't know if it was one of our episodes or one of our commentary tracks but i talked about the um red letter media has referred to this like a few times not often but the, the, the idea of a grandma movie, which is the, the type of movie yeah. that like anyone can watch, including your grandma, this is not a grandma movie. This is the furthest <laughs> thing from a grandma movie.
1: This will kill your grandmother.
0: <laughs> so I think I, I will recommend this movie as well, but I'm definitely aware that it has limited appeal. But I am going to agree with you. I did prefer this movie to Big Trouble in Little China. It was relatively close for me,
1: mm-hmm. but...
0: I couldn't deny this felt truly unique Unique in terms of I haven't seen a martial arts picture quite like this, and it was a fresh experience. I mean, Big Trouble in Little China felt pretty fresh too because I hadn't seen it in so long.
1: The interesting thing here is that we have two movies that are pretty unique.
0: I, I wanted to say I what I really like about this, and this will kind of go into our my next question because obviously we're going to discuss does this work as a drive-in double feature? I'm going to say yes, and one of the big reasons is because we have two very, very—they're they're different, but they're also just unique protagonists in terms of if you're making a traditional adventure picture, a hero, these are not the characters you would have as your leader and, or as your mm-hmm. lead character. In Big Trouble in Little China, we have this bumbling idiot, this, um, again, <laughs> Ash in Army of Darkness, I think, is a good comparison. And then in The Street Fighter, you have this psychopath— yeah. And these are these are not the characters that you would drop in your mind to star in these roles. And that's one thing that I think makes them part of what makes the movies special. And then I think that they're so different even from each other, not just different from a normal movie, but they're different enough from each other that there's like an interesting balance in watching one movie and then watching the other one.
1: Big Trouble in Little China leads nicely into the Street Fighter because you do have over the top, weird, mystical Stuff that not only can you sort of not wrap your head around it, but you're, like, left with, like, a lot of questions. And then you also have things, you know, like, corpses upside down in water. You have a guy blowing up in in, in an over-the-top fashion. But then you move to a movie that's, like, firmly based in reality.
0: It's a heightened reality.
1: Yeah, where the guy is kicking the shit out of people so badly that they're, like, expelling vomit, you know, (laughs) and teeth.
0: It's (laughs) certainly a far less romantic film than, than, than uh, Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> in the sense that it is oh, more, it. it's 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 a dirty film. Not that it B- is, Big yeah. Trouble in Little China is this ultra clean movie or anything, but this movie is just such a freaking dirty, exploitation-y follow-up. And I think that's interesting that we have obviously a common thread in a little bit of Asian flavor i think is the phrase that i used earlier yeah uh, there's a little bit of martial arts in both street fighter is a proper martial arts film big trouble in little china i wouldn't really call it a martial arts film but obviously there's martial arts in it and then yeah big trouble in little china is this kind of i don't want to say complicated story but it's a story that's kind of all over the place it's a movie that's kind of all over the place and yeah. the Street Fighter is so refreshingly simple in that it's just, it's basically one guy against the world. We've kind of talked about his character motivation doesn't really make sense. His character development doesn't really make sense. It's never clear when that happens. It's really, you just watch it to see him kill people. And I think it's wonderful.
1: I think it's fun. You know, maybe we should pick our own movies more often.
0: <laughs> well, you need me to pick an, an, an interesting a movie as the Street Fighter next time. I'll have to find something else <laughs> I haven't seen. Anyways, you wanna you wanna hear what we're doing next week? Well, Jim, you already kind of know, but listeners, next week is going to be our last episode of our second season. We will be returning likely in October. After that, but next week, we are doing an awards presentation, so to speak. I think it's it's going to bear resemblance to our season one recap. There's going we're going to be discussing similar topics such as best kills, best movie. But we're breaking it down award by award. And I want to call this like the Drive-In Academy Awards, except that's a phrase Joe Bob <laughs> uses all the time. I doubt it's copyrighted, but I still don't want to steal it. But that's sort of what this is going to be. We're going to talk about that. Thank you for joining us, Jim. Thank you for joining me on this wonderful journey into Asian culture, whether it be <laughs> fictional John, Carpenter imagine- John Carpenter's imagination of it or Sonny Chiba's imagination of, this, <laughs> of it, his interpretation of how easily japanese men can be killed and in how in, in such violent ways but this has been a blast this double feature i think this is one of our better double features honestly i think we saved one of the best for last
1: yeah i think so yeah we should think about doing this once a season maybe the last episode well that's
0: what we're always doing from now on you and i have already drafted go. the movies for season three and i mentioned that we're doing the where we pick a movie. We're also going to have our guests on Patreon pick a double feature for us, so patreon.com slash revenge of the drive-in. Check that out so you'll be able to vote on what we do in an episode as well as listen to our commentary tracks and get early access to episodes as well as to longer extended cuts of episodes to see what racist joke jim made that got cut from the episode or something like that i don't know no i i kid i kid i would see but, but yeah you know, we, we we cut some jokes just to kind of keep the flow of the movie up sometimes and it's usually, usually just kind of straightforward like yeah anyways thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time yeah talk to you later everybody
1: bye for now